Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Penny Podcast with Greg Peterson. Warm up for Lee Lowe. Welcome to Love You Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. We're going to be chatting with Ben Wilson of the Vegas Edson Information Network. He does the VEASAN Bet Center every Saturday. If you're looking on the West Coast, that is from 6 to 10 p.m. Pacific Time. If you're looking in terms of Eastern Time, that is 9 p.m. Eastern to 1 a.m. Eastern Time. So he bleeds into multiple nights with regards to that. And that is a lead-in for the Greg Peterson experience, which got to give myself a plug. If you're looking for a little bit more football to me, if you're looking for just a little bit of a hodgepodge of everything when it comes to sports betting in general. I'm on the Vegas Ads and Information Network every Friday and Saturday if you're out here on the West Coast from 10 p.m. until 1 a.m. So I bleed into Saturday and Sunday. And then if you're looking on the East Coast, that is Saturday and Sunday from 1 to 4 a.m. Eastern. So I think we've got it all down. If you're in a different time zone, I'll let you do the math from there. But Ben does an absolutely terrific job with so many different things. He does a lot of play-by-play work when it comes to college sports. But he, like myself, grew up in the great state of Wisconsin. We're going to be taking a look at so many of these playoff matchups and Obviously, it's the last day of the regular season. We're going to be reiterating the point that 
Things are very volatile the last day of the regular season, so if you're not someone that you want to playing high volume to start with, now is probably not the time to start in. It might be very difficult to because in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Sunday and a little something I like to call touch them all in. A lot of this is going to be mainly suggestions and projecting for because as I am doing this, this is 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. We've got one game with a set line across the board at like DraftKings or what have you. There are so many games that are off the board that it's not even funny. So I'm going to be doing my absolute best. We actually know quite a few of these pitching matchups, but it makes it very difficult to be able to give you guys too much that is set in stone. So I'm going to be doing my absolute best with that, but it certainly do have a lot of moving parts. And when it comes to moving parts, I always like to be able to answer your questions when it comes to all of those moving parts that you might not be able to decipher. So if you've got a question, comment, segment idea, a topic that you'd like me to add on on this podcast, Got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters here. Name me does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. And we really did not wind up getting in any questions today. I know that some of you guys have questions about hedging futures, what have you. And I've talked about that on the podcast last few days. So if you go back to the October 1st and October 2nd edition, of the Baseball Betting Podcast. I've got nice detailed answers for you guys on that. So have no fear. I've got you guys covered. And I've got you guys covered on what we wound up seeing in Major League Baseball on Saturday. So let's dive into that, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. We saw quite a few high-scoring games between American League East teams as the Tampa Bay Rays wind up taking it to the New York Yankees by a count of 12-2. Jordan Montgomery had given up two runs or fewer in seven out of his last nine starts. Well, that was not the case on Saturday as he gets lit up for seven runs at two and two-thirds innings. Lucas Lutke has to come out of the bullpen. He gives up a run in three innings. And then Michael King, he was not the king on this day, giving up three runs in a third of an inning. And Jolie Rodriguez had to come in to save the day, giving up one run over the course of three innings as it was home run derby for the Tampa Bay Rays in this one. Also medals his 27th home run season. Brandon Lau, he got loud for not one, not two, but three home runs. His 37th, 38th, and 39th of the campaign. And Mike Zanino was able to get his 33rd. Shane Boz, good prospect for the Tampa Bay Rays. Not a long start from him. He gives up one run over the course of two and two-thirds innings. He did wind up allowing a home run to Anthony Rizzo. His 22nd home run season then. The Rays bullpen went to work. Chris Mazza along with Luis Patino both give you two scoreless innings. Matt Weisler was able to give you a scoreless inning. And J.P. Fireisen, one and a third inning scoreless. And the Rays go 5 of 15 with men in scoring position. So now the Yankees are in a situation which if they wind up losing on Sunday, we could wind up getting a four-team tango out there for that American League wild card, and that would be very fascinating to say the least as the Red Sox were able to do their part being able to get a win by a count of 5-3. to three. Now, with the four-team tango, I think that the Boston Red Sox would have to lose to the Washington Nationals on Sunday, and if the Boston Red Sox wind up losing to the Nationals with Chris Sale apparently going for the Boston 
Red Sox, and I think that the Washington Nationals are throwing out there John Adon for his first career start. Then you're really looking at something, but we have seen the Red Sox struggle in the recent days, but Red Sox able to do just enough to be able to get the job done as Kike Hernandez gets his 20th home run season in the ninth inning off of Mason Thompson, and Rafael Devers goes deep off of Josiah Gray for his 36th home run season. For Gray, actually a really good start. He gives up that solo home run to Devers and nothing else over the course of six innings. And then Dan Rainey, it was raining runs on his ERA, which is now a 739 as he gives up three runs over the course of an inning. Awesome both along with Kyle Finnegan and Ryan Harper combined for two scoreless innings, but Mason Thompson gives up that home run, did not wind up getting a single out, and for Andrew Stevenson, he was able to get his fifth home run season as the Boston Red Sox had things get a little bit airy in the ninth inning as Austin Davis gave up that home run, two runs in total over the course of two-thirds of an inning, and Tanner Houck, this did not sit well with me. After 53 pitches and five perfect innings, he was pulled out of the game, Garrett Richards from there, and Ryan Brazier both give you a scoreless setting, and Enzo Robles is able to get the save with a scoreless setting of his own, but five perfect innings, 53 pitches, and a guy gets pulled. I do not understand that one. I do not understand what is going on with Griffin Jacks actually pitching well. The Twins get a 4-0 win over the Kansas City Royals. As for the Twinkies, they were able to get a home run off the bat of Josh Donaldson, his 26th home run season, giving that up. Chris with a game, Bubich, who winds up giving up three runs over to earn, including that homer in six and two-thirds innings. Domingo Tapia gives up a run in two-thirds of an inning, but Gabe Spear was able to give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen without giving up a run, and Kyle Zimmer was able to give you an ending out of the bullpen as well, but for the Royals, just absolutely nothing doing for them. Three total hits as Griffin Jacks, who had entered into this one giving up more than two home runs per nine innings and, and an ERA that was right around seven. He winds up going five scoreless innings. Kale Theobar, Ty Duffy combined for three scoreless innings, and Alex Colome was able to give you a scoreless innings, so the Twins were able to get the job done. The Rangers get done against the Cleveland Indians by a count of 7-2 as Tristan McKenzie, he looked very good after the All-Star break until his final three starts in which he gave up three plus runs in pretty much all of them. He went four innings, giving up four runs, including a pair of bombs going deep for the Texas Rangers. Willie Callow his sixth home run season, Jonah Heim his tenth. From there, you wind up getting two scoreless innings out of Trevor Steven, and then Sam Entiches gives up three runs in one and two-thirds innings with Brian Shaw getting the final out in that one. And for the Texas Rangers, Jordan Lyles, a really good start. Gives up one run over the course of seven innings. Spencer Patton, scoreless inning from there. Brett Martin gives up an out of the bullpen. So you wind up having a Rangers team without 101 losses. Showing a little bit fight here late in the season. My New York Post play of the day. It went down in smoke as well as I took the under in the Reds versus the Pittsburgh Pirates game. And the Pirates put up a touchdown minus a PAT in the fifth inning to win this one by a count of 8-6 to six for the Red Legs. You had Tyler Ball who entered into this game with a buck 85 ERA in the road. Give up six runs in four and a third innings. Justin Wilson gave you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Tony Santian and Luis Sessa both give up a run in an inning. And Jeff Hoffman winds up giving you a scoreless inning for the Pirates. No home runs in this one, but they go 6 of 15 with men in scoring position as Max Karanek winds up giving up four runs, three of which were earned over the course of his four innings. Going deep off of them was Mr. Eugenio Suarez, his 31st home run of the season, then Nick Cassianos will go deep off of Angel De Los Santos for his 34th home run season as De Los Santos gives up a run in his inning. Sam Hauer goes two-thirds of an inning giving up a run, but then Nick Mears gives you an out of the bullpen, and then Jason Shreve, Shelby Miller, and Chris Strain 
All are able to give you a scroll of the settings up for the Cincinnati Reds. This was just the second time in their last 15 row games in which they had scored at least four runs. So they certainly have been having a little bit of a rough one there. The San Francisco Giants had a little bit of a rough one against the San Diego Padres. The Padres get a 3-2 win and apparently Jason Singler is out of a job. But Joe Musgrove pitched well in this one, giving up one run over the course of five innings. Ross Detweiler does wind up giving up a solo run in his inning of work going deep for the San Francisco Giants. Austin Slater, his 12th home run season, but a bullpen of the Padres, which has been just absolutely gas, wound up coming through in this one. Mark Melanson, Tim Hill, Danny Hudson, Pierce Johnson, I'll give you a scroll of the setting in. It was Mr. Fernando Tatis Jr. wound up having an RBI double that lifted the team to victory as Kevin Gosman. An amazing start here for the San Francisco Giants, giving up one run over the course of seven innings. Zach Liddell winds up giving up one run in his two-thirds of an inning. Jose Alvarez was able to get the final out of the eighth. Camilo Duval, a scoreless inning. Kervin Castro gives up the unearned run that starts on second in the tenth inning before Jarlon Garcia gets the final out. And for the San Francisco Giants, just one of seven with men in scoring position with five hits. So the offense was not firing all cylinders. The Phillies' offense certainly not firing all cylinders either. They wind up losing to the Miami Marlins by a count of 3-1 to one as Ace Lou Cesardo delivers a very good start. 11 strikeouts, 1 run surrendered, and 5 in the third innings and for Lozardo. His second start in which he winds up giving up 2 runs or fewer in a row. It's a miracle as he wound up entering into this game with like a 6.61 ERA. And then from there, Anthony Bass gives you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. Richard Blyer, Anthony Bender, Dylan Floro. I'll give you scoreless settings. And Jazz Shislam was able to get his 18th home run season. That comes off of Hans Kroos, which that sounds like a really good sandwich. Not necessarily such a great pitcher, giving up three runs over the course of four innings. From there, Christopher Sanchez, three scoreless settings, and he wind up getting a scoreless setting of Kyle Dowie. So the Phillies were able to get some good pitching, but at the same time, offense just was not able to come to the forefront in this one. The offense came to the forefront for the Toronto Blue Jays, though, as they completely smashed the helpless Baltimore Orioles by a count of 10-1. For the Orioles, John Means, he did not mean business in this one. Seven runs, six of which weren't given up over the course of three innings, including a trail of homers. From there, it didn't get much better as Connor Wade, two and two-thirds innings, giving up three runs, all of which were earned, including a pair of homers. Spencer Watkins lowered his ERA to an 8.07, though, with two and a third scoreless innings. And for the Baltimore Orioles, they were not able to get to Alec Manoa because Manoa, what? He was terrific. He gives up one hit, one walk, and he winds up punching out 10 over the course of seven innings. He did allow the lone run that the Orioles wind up scoring, but then from there, Ross Tripling, a pair of scoreless innings. And how about this for the Toronto Blue Jays? Going deep in this one, Flagger Jr., 47th home run season to Oscar Hernandez, 32nd home run of the year. George Springer, his 20th home run season. Danny Jansen, his 11th home run season. Bubba Shit, his 29th home run of the season. Ariana Grande, her first home run of the season. So you had a little bit of everything going on for the Toronto Blue Jays. The Chicago White Sox were able to have a nice little comeback to be able to take down the Detroit Tigers by a count of 5-4. to four. The Tigers wind up getting up in this one by a count of 4-0, to zero, and then the White Sox put up 5 runs in the 7th and 8th innings to be able to get the job done as Matt Manning was able to deliver a good start, a third straight start against the White Sox, 5 scoreless settings, and then Jose Ureña. Ureña is all over this game. He gives up 3 runs over the course of 1 and 2 thirds innings. Alex Lang gives you an out of the bullpen, and Kyle Funkhauser did not bring the funk. He winds up giving up two runs in his inning, including a home run to Yohan Moncada, his 14th home run season for Lucas Gilito. Looked sharp in this one. He winds up giving up one run over the course of five innings. From there, Dallas Keigel comes out of the bullpen, and he has just been a mess. 
for the White Sox recently. Giving up three runs in two-thirds of an inning, Ryan Burr was able to give you a scoreless inning. Matt Foster not out of the bullpen. Aaron Bummer and Liam Hendricks, they were able to deliver a scoreless eighth and ninth innings as the Tigers wind up going three of 11 men in scoring position, but no home runs as the White Sox get it done there. The Astros, they were certainly able to get it done over the Athletics spike on a 10-4. Paul Blackburn, we're not going to be seeing any more of him this year, and in future years, it looks like he might be a fade. He got six outs. He gave up six runs, all which were earned, including a trio of home runs going deep off of him. Yoli Gurriel, 15th home run of the season. Jordan Alvarez, 33rd of the season. Jason Castro's 8th of the season. Kyle Tucker will go deep off of Sam Maul later for his 29th home run season as Maul won in two-thirds innings and he got mauled, giving up two runs, including that home run. James Caprillion, not sure why they moved him to the bullpen and not Paul Blackburn, but gives up two runs, one of which was earned over the course of three and a third innings and you wind up getting a scoreless inning out of Domingo Osevedo as for the Oakland A's, they themselves wind up going 3 of 14 with men in scoring position as Tony Kemp wound up getting picked off in this game. That's not great as for the Astros. Jake Odorizzi does give up three runs over the course of four and two-thirds innings, but Phil Meaton gives you an out of the bullpen. Ryan Stanek, along with Brooks Raley and Ryan Presley, all give you a scoreless inning, and Kendall Graveman gives up a run in an inning, but the Astros able to get a nice, clean win there. The Chicago Cubs now make the St. Louis Cardinals 19-2 and in their last 21 games. The Cubs wind up pulling off a nice comeback with two runs in the ninth inning to get the job done by a count of 6-5. For Adrian Sampson, he gives up one home run, and that home run was a solo home run over the course of four innings. Going deep for the Cardinals, Harrison Bader, 16th home run season. From there, you do wind up having a run given up by Trevor McGill in an inning. Jason Adam and Rowan Wick both come out of the bullpen for a scoreless inning, and Michael Rucker, he got ruckered all over once again. Three runs given up in his two innings, but they were all unearned as Sergio Alcantara wanted to make it a bad error out there in the field, but the offense would make up for it. Trace Thompson was able to get his fourth home run season off of John Lester, and then Luis Garcia in the ninth inning gives up the big home run to Mr. Ian App, his 25th home run season, and for App, I believe now his 15th home run ever since the beginning of the month of October, so he has been surging recently as Lester. He does give up four runs over the course of five innings. He had given up two runs or fewer in five out of his previous six starts. Kwon Young Kim, two scoreless settings out of the bullpen. Cody Woodley, a scoreless setting, but Garcia gives up that two-run shot in his inning of work that allows the Cubs to be able to get the W. The Atlanta Braves get the W against the New York Metropolitans by a count of 6-5, and looks like they're going to be giving Charlie Morton the start on Sunday, as I'm seeing it now. So that's a good sign for them, as Michael Conforto, good sign for the Mets, gets his 14th home run season. He winds up going deep off of what was pretty much a bullpen game in this one, as that was off of Dylan Lee, winds up giving up two runs in his inning of work. Richard Rodriguez, two-thirds of an inning, giving up two runs. Jacob Webb, though, was able to give you a scoreless inning. Jesse Chavez, two scoreless innings as the opener. A.J. Minter gives up a run in his two innings. And Drew Smiley, the bulk guy, three scoreless innings as he had a pair of home runs in this one for the Atlanta Braves as Jock Peterson was able to get his 18th home run season. And William Cadreras was able to go yard for his eighth home run season. Those both come off of one. Carlos, a.k.a. Cookie Carrasco, did not have a good year with a 6.04 ERA, giving up five runs over the course of five innings, including two bombs in this one. Robbie Gisellman gives up a run in his inning of work in the bread hand, and Miguel Castro, both able to give you a scoreless inning, says, we've got a couple games that have yet to go final, but two of these games are relatively decided. The Arizona Diamondbacks are all over the Colorado Rockies, but how about the L.A. Dodgers? 
being able to pretty much take this down to game 162 for the NL West crown. They are currently up on the birds by kind of 7-1 to in the 7th inning as I do this. And for the Dodgers, one Julio Arias looking for his 20th win of the season with 6 and a third innings, giving up just one run in the process. And for the Dodgers, they've got a tree of home runs in this one. Corey Seager, 16th home run season. A.J. Pollock, 21st home run season. And Mr. Justin Turner down for what? Gets his 27th home run season as you had Corbin Burns trying to get the Cy Young Award. It wound up being a little bit more Colin Rhea than we expected as Rhea has given up four runs over the course of four innings. And Burns goes just two innings and giving up three runs in the process. So looked far from sharp there as for the Dodgers. They have used Phil Bickford, the former Brewer, out of the bullpen to be able to give them a pair of outs. The Arizona Diamondbacks currently clobbering the Colorado Rockies 11-2 going into the top of the ninth. So we know this one is going to be going as for the Rockies. Pair of home runs in this one. Sam Lilliard, 14th home run season. And then Dom Nunez was able to get his 10th. Those both come off of Zach Allen. But by and large, solid start for Gallon. Gives up those two solo runs over the course of his six innings. Caleb Smith, along with Luis Fries, were both able to give you a scoreless setting in for the Diamondbacks. 7 of 17 with men in scoring position as Antonio Senzatello was not long for this game. He goes two-thirds of an inning, giving up six runs, all of which were earned. Yancy Alavante from there. Wines going one and a third innings, giving up nothing in the process, but Ulysse Chassin and Chichi Gonzalez combined for four innings, giving up three runs in the process. Junior Fernandez gives up two runs in his inning of work, and Robert Stevenson has actually been sought out of the bullpen for the Rockies. He winds up being able to deliver a scoreless inning for the Seattle Mariners. Currently in a fight with the LA Angels in the bottom of the sixth, they're up by a count of three to one. I have to do this a little bit earlier because the Greg Peterson experience waits for nobody, but you did wind up having Jose Rojas get his sixth home run season for the LA Angels. That was off of Chris Flexen, and Flexen wound up going five and a third innings, giving up just that sole home run, and for the Seattle Mariners, Mitch Haniger goes deep off of Jonathan Diaz as Diaz made his second career start, his 39th home run of the season. As for Diaz, he winds up giving up three runs over the course of his four and a third innings, and if you're looking at baseball overall this season, we have been noticing that we've seen a couple more unders and overs as it sits so far this MLB season. If you're looking at it, it's right around 50.6 slash 50.7% of games that have gone under the total as it sits right now with a couple games pending. 1,155 unders to 1,030 overs. Meanwhile, favorites hitting at a rate of 59.4%. 1,412 and 967 home teams. They're 1,292 and 1,110. So winning at a rate of about 53.8%. But if you look at the last 30 days, they've only been hitting right around 50.5% of the time. 205 and 200 are home team's favorites. They've dried up a little bit. 229 and 171 over the last 30 days, hitting at about 57.3%. And unders have a very slim lead on overs over the last 30 days at 192 and 189. So 50.4% of games, according to our good friends at Covers, have went under over the last 30 days. And if you're looking just over the last seven days, unders have been very good. 49 unders at 36 overs. We saw quite a few overs on Saturday, but certainly the unders have been hitting recently. Recently and favorites in this time span 54 and 35 so winning at a little bit above a 60% clip in home teams 52 and 37 in that time span so that's what we're all seeing in Major League Baseball right now and that's what we wound up seeing in Major League Baseball on Saturday now let's take a look for a little bit of a postseason I guess you could call it primer take a look at why today's games are going to be very hard to bet on as well with our good friend Ben Wilson of Beeson. That chat is coming up on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. 
Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our guests as this man does absolutely terrific work over there at the Vegas Ads and Information Network. And if you recall the same from something other than VEASAN, this man does a lot of play-by-play work when it comes to the Mountain West. Just a lot of general West Coast college sports. Ben does a great job holding it down when it comes to volleyball, things like baseball. He jumps in on a lot of basketball broadcasts when that's in season as well. So this man does a little bit of everything as we do with Ben Wilson on the podcast and you're able to catch him on the Vegas Ads and Information Network every Saturday night along with one of our other good buddies, Jeff Parles. And to be able to follow Ben on Twitter, you're able to follow him at Ben underscore Wilson underscore the number one. And Ben, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Thank you as always, Greg. As I say every time I come on the podcast, the best introduction podcast host in the business so thank you as always i appreciate that thank you we've got to always give great guests a great introduction and hopefully we did our best there and hopefully we do our best when it comes to the betting board for sunday because as we record this it's right around 4 5 o'clock p.m pacific and we've got like what three four games that are currently with lines in a lot of places up there on the betting board and if you're someone that you're not necessarily someone that bets day to day when it comes to baseball, I think we'd both be in lockstep that you're probably best off just trying to prime up for the postseason. No doubt you want to be watching these games. You've got a couple games that are going to have postseason implications, but at the same time, this is one of these cases in which you probably want to tread a little bit more lightly on this day than normal. Yes, I have <laughs> in complete agreement with you. Really, the only thing that I've looked at in this final week of the season, Greg, has been these potential in-game opportunities where you've got a team fighting for playoff positioning against a team that's either out of it or is already locked up seating, doesn't have anything to play for. And it's not like you can just blanketly go into these each each scenario and just say, oh, the Orioles are up 6 nothing on the Red Sox, so let me take a flyer on Boston 10-1. to You still have to pick your spots with that. But there have been some really good opportunities. You just look to Friday night where the Brewers are up 5 nothing in a game the Dodgers have to win. Again, if you're betting this stuff day-to-day and you kind of know – which guys are the better relievers and, and what the managers are doing. Well, you saw Milwaukee go to Yandel Gustave out of the bullpen. And Greg, you and I both know, having watched every Brewer game this season, all 160 of them to this point, probably the worst guy they've thrown out there <laughs> at any point this season. Nothing against Mr. Gustave. He's a fine person, but he's not been a good guy if, if you're betting on a bullpen late in game. So those are really the only spots I've been looking at, Greg. But as that has turned now into Sunday here, I think you're going to be few and far between, and you really have to be disciplined when when you're looking at those spots, not just betting them blindly. Yeah, no question. I will say for Gustave, he is not the worst pitcher I've seen for the Brewers this year. Jordan Zimmerman wound up actually getting a couple innings this year, and boy, is he washed up. So, but I forgot about Jits. It's been so long since Jordan Zimmerman actually pitched. That feel, that feels like a different season at this point from back in uh, April when he was he was still in the mix. Yeah, that was not good to say the least. And you certainly do have an intriguing spot with this Brewers versus Dodgers game because you've got to figure that the Dodgers are going to be in the one game wild card as we're doing this podcast. You've got the Giants and the Padres in extra innings, but the Dodgers would have to win out and the San Francisco Giants would have to lose that Saturday game and the Sunday game in order to force a game 163. So going to be interesting to gauge the motivations of both the Brewers and the Dodgers because as we know the Brewers they are going to be taking on the Atlanta Braves in the postseason I was seeing the Brewers throwing out their Freddie Peralta for Sunday a little bit earlier but now I am seeing this just with a completely to be determined starter for both of these teams and you've got to think that both the Dodgers and the Brewers are going to want to set up their rotations the way that they want it for the postseason and with the Brewers my big question is 
what do you do with Freddie Peralta at this point? Because he could wind up pitching on Sunday, but at the same time, if he doesn't wind up pitching on Sunday, I would almost take a look at Eric Lauer over Freddie Peralta. I think that Peralta winds up getting that start number three against the Atlanta Braves, but certainly we have seen Peralta not look like himself since coming off the injured list. Yeah, you're right, Greg. It's also interesting just from the rotational spot as a whole where you have the Friday start in in that that NLDS series for the Brewers. But what's interesting, too, is they were somewhat of a discussion as to what to do with the spacing for both Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns because both of those guys have wanted to keep them as sharp as possible, but both are going to end up pitching Greg on like seven, eight days rest. Woodruff, they elected not to give him a start in the final two series with uh, having the Dodgers series as well, having that not mean anything with the Brewers already clinching. So I am really curious how that'll play out. Now, you could also make the case, too, look, on the Atlanta side, that was the one team you wondered, all right, they might go down to the final weekend not having clinched, but the fact they were able to dispatch Philadelphia, handle them with these earlier in the week, meant they're almost in a similar boat here. So while Peralta has struggled as of late, Greg, I have to imagine they're going to try to get him out there first few games. It's been a, a top three that's it's set up for a series just like this, and I think Craig, Craig Council and the Brewers really respects the lineup that, that Atlanta brings out there. He knows the type of power and the type of danger they have. There have been some spots this year where the Brewers have faced Atlanta. They've struggled. They've succumbed to some of those big hitting stretches by the Braves. So it surpri- honestly surprised me a little bit, even with Greg, some of the late season struggles for Peralta, if you didn't see him out there in one of the first few. I do think the matchup does go pretty well for Milwaukee, but I think the one concern remains the same for them the whole season, which is the hitting has not been super consistent all year. We've seen stretches, including that stretch where they get swept uh, by St. Louis at home in four games, where the hitting has just disappeared at times. And and Atlanta's got enough arms where even though that strength of their team is on the hitting side, it's one of those things, Greg, where I'm sure the Brewers, when we get these series lines posted, they'll be a healthy favorite, and they probably should be. But it's a series where if the Brewers come out and and they look lifeless at the plate in game one, that's one where even though you'd be getting a shorter price on Atlanta, I don't think that would be a bad value play, even more to even closer to even money up one nothing because we've seen usually the Brewers it's kind of all or nothing from a hitting perspective and no matter how good your pitching are you still need some support with the bats and we've seen that a few times this year I agree with you as we do have Ben Wilson of the Vegas Heads and Information Network joining me on the podcast and what I think is going to be very interesting to gauge not just on Sunday but just these next few days in general is the fact that if things wind up breaking as I guess you could call it chaotically as possible we could wind up seeing a four-way tango for those two American League wildcard spots, I think that that's going to be really fascinating because if we wind up getting a three-way tie for that final playoff spot, you would, I think the way that it shakes out, have, if it winds up being Blue Jays, Mariners, and Red Sox, have the Red Sox be sort of the team that doesn't have to play the first time around. It would be Blue Jays going on the road against the Seattle Mariners. Then you've got the Mariners going to the Boston Red Sox, and you've got to think that whoever would wind up drawing them, and I believe that that would be the Tampa Bay Rays, they put themselves in really good footing. I know that it's been you, me, Jeff Parles, Josh Showers, all the guys over there at Visa, and we've all been very high on the Tampa Bay Rays. And the way that things are shaping out right now with all these teams having to battle for those wild card spots, I feel like the Tampa Bay Rays are still a team that you want to be betting on when it comes to the postseason, whether that be game by game or what I've been recommending on this podcast, doing sort of the rollover mentality round by round. Right. Nothing to me, Greg, has changed about my outlook on Tampa as far as those four teams we just talked about in that AO wildcard race. Boston is a team I'm I'm going to be looking to fade. Potential matchup-wise, you get a favorable spot for them. And a lot of it is just due to the bullpen. And we've seen it started with Matt Barnes. We see him come into the All-Star game, one of the best relievers in baseball. And you figured with 
the start Boston had, the turnaround they had, especially from a, a hitting perspective with how good J.D. Martinez has been this year with having in-game video back that he didn't have during the COVID season, you just kind of figured, all right, everything seems to be clicking for Boston, but we'll want to see what the longevity will look like, especially on the pitching side. And with Barnes basically being reduced to like a fifth, sixth inning role at times, and Adam Onavino not really capitalizing on his opportunities for closer as he's kind of been bouncing around in that late inning spot. That's a team where with how many innings, if you know, you've watched these games, Greg, all week, and they've had to get so many innings out of the bullpen. There have been a few games where even some of these weird Orioles games, where you're like, man, how are these guys even getting out? They're so taxed. They're in such high leverage spots. I think it's going to come crashing down once you get into that wild card scenario. And I know nobody's really going to want to back Seattle if that ends up being the case. I think Toronto is going to be a very sexy play. I think the hope would be if you somehow could get like a Boston-Toronto matchup. in one of those, yeah, as you mentioned, the weird tango of all the different outcomes that you could possibly get for potentially what could be up to two or three different wild card games. That's the one I think I'd be hoping for, Toronto against Boston, especially with how much pop we've seen out of the Toronto bats, not only all season, but especially in the final couple of weeks as they've made this big surge uh, toward the playoff picture. So that's a team I'm, I'm going to be looking, Greg, if we're talking just single game matchups before we get into these DS playoff series. That's a team I think that will be a good go against bet in both pregame. And I think that also applies, Greg, to the in-game markets as well. Yep, I think that it's going to be really intriguing to see what we get in the American League the next few days. But I will be saying this, if we do wind up continuing to get these Mariners plus prices, I'm going to be taking a look at that. Obviously, we didn't wind up getting them in this Angels series, but the Seattle Mariners have provided actually a ton of value because I think that we were both in lockstep, that we didn't think the Seattle Mariners would be quite competing the way that they are for the postseason in general, but just on a day in and day out basis, the way that they were completely disrespected by bookmakers, I felt like was a little bit too much of an extreme because like I said, I thought that the Seattle Mariners, they wouldn't necessarily be a team that'd be competing for the postseason. I thought that they would go to right around 500, but when you're getting big plus prices, when they're facing off against teams like the Blue Jays, teams like the Red Sox, list goes on and on, especially when those games are at home. That just has provided a lot of good value for betters, much like with the San Francisco Giants, the books were so slow to adjust. And I don't think that they fully adjusted to them either because what we thought were preseason expectations are still probably ringing a little bit too true when it comes to prices, even as late as early October. Yeah, and, and think too, Greg, about how people, I think the narrative around the Giants coming into the playoffs when we start to see the prices come out on them, even though they'll have, assuming they hold on to the division lead and secure that, get to avoid the wild card spot, get the DS series at home. Whoever they face, you know, you would expect them to be an underdog if they face the Dodgers, even with the home field advantage. But like, even if it's the Cardinals they face, I still think the Cardinals, based on the hot streak they've been on recently, and still, I think based on that undervaluing of the Giants, I get the sense that a lot of people, in, just from a public perspective, are going to say, all right, this has been a great story. For the Giants, sure, we were wrong. They were great. They're going to win 107, 108 games. But this luck's going to run out once we get to the postseason. I think it's a mistake to just assume that. It's not just as lazy as saying, oh, they've had tremendous postseason success over the past decade in certain spots. Because that's you know, totally different teams and completely different scenarios at play there. But I'm actually selfishly hoping for a Giants-Cardinals matchup. A, because it would knock out the Dodgers, assuming, again, that the results that we expect to hold do hold. And B, I do think actually San Francisco matches up pretty well against St. Louis. And you could see, like, it wouldn't surprise me, Greg, if you saw the Giants only a, a slight favorite in that series, even though I think they're pretty clearly the better team. I think the juicing the orange on St. Louis is, is going to run out here. It's just been such an unreal stretch. The only thing really comparable you can bring to it is the Rockies 2007 run that carried them all the way through their crazy end of season streak all the way to the World Series where they eventually get swept by Boston. 
I just don't see that same thing happening for St. Louis. It feels like they've been pitching over their weight for the really the better half of the last couple months, even though Adam Wainwright's been incredible. And that's the one series I'd be looking at. The Mariners, Greg, at a certain, certain point as a handicapper, you got to admit, all right, I was wrong on a team. And I think everybody is saying that with Seattle. So I think you're right. They're going to continue to have value just simply because it's better. We're stubborn. We're stubborn people. That's just the nature of betting, especially a sport like baseball. Yeah, with the Seattle Mariners, a negative 49 run differential, 89 and 71 for the season. To put this into perspective, the Miami Marlins, they have a negative 81 run differential, so a differential of about 32 between the two of them. 95 losses for the Miami Marlins, so that is just absolutely stark. And we've got an Oakland A's team that is at plus 63 with their run differential, three games back of the of the Seattle Mariners. So it has been wild to see as we do have Ben Wilson joining me on the podcast and Ben, something that I think is at this point a foregone conclusion is the fact that you're going to have the St. Louis Cardinals and the Dodgers in that one-game wild card. We just wound up talking about the American League side of things. And when it comes to that one-game wild card, it's going to be Adam Wainwright. You've got to figure if it's the Dodgers, it's going to be Max Scherzer. And I take a look at a spot like that, and if I'm getting plus 175 on the St. Louis Cardinals, like I very well think that we are going to. I think that in a one-game scenario, I'd be backing the St. Louis Cardinals. I do agree with you. If they wind up playing against the Giants, I'd be taking the Giants in the series and looking to bet them. But at the same time, if you wind up getting that one-game wild card, you've got a guy in Adam Wainwright who's 40 years old. You know that he would love nothing more than to ruin the season of the Dodgers. I think that there might be some value on them in that game. I agree with you, and I think some people might look at his last start of the regular season against Milwaukee where he did get touched up a little bit and think, all right, well, maybe he's not totally sharp where you'd want him to be coming into a game like this, but maybe not a more underrated pitcher as far as postseason experience and the medal you have to have in games like these. It just They have such different flows once you get into these playoff atmospheres. And I also think for a one-game playoff at Chavez Ravine, not much of a home field advantage, I don't think, for the Dodgers. That's likely going to be whenever it's set up. You have the NL one day, the AL the other day in those standalone windows. It'll be an early, whatever, late afternoon start in LA. So it's going to be, as we've seen in playoff games before out there, the late arriving crowd. I think the Cardinals are going to be ready to go. As much as I think they're a good team to, to go against in that specific Giants series, I actually do think it's a pretty good matchup for them against the Dodgers. And It's been interesting, too, seeing how the Dodgers trying to bring back Clayton Kershaw. We obviously would not expect any way to pitch in this one-game playoff, but he looked really shaky on Friday against Milwaukee. And that's a guy where I know it hadn't been talked about much, just trying to figure out, all right, when do they pitch him in the postseason? But that, to me, Greg, would have been an option for them to come out of the bullpen potentially in a game like that, he might still be the only through, I think, 35, 36 pitches in that game. But I don't really know if that's an option now for Dave Roberts. He still looks a ways away from being sharp again, trying to work him back off the IL. And that's like a little wrinkle I think the Dodgers would have had in their back pockets to spring at the Cardinals. We've seen them do that before with Kershaw in the postseason. I don't think they can really rely on that now. I do think it's Cardinals get a lead in this game, even though their their bullpen has been susceptible at times this season. I really would like them in that spot. Right, I think you're going to get a nice juicy plus price on them as well. And that is something that I certainly am going to be taking a look at myself. And I know that, Ben, you're going to be doing a great job taking a look at the MLB postseason. I know that every Saturday night over there on the Vegas Edson Information Network, you and Jeff Parles are doing a great job. As That is 6 to 10 p.m. Pacific time. If you're looking Eastern time, that is 9 p.m. and bleeds into Sunday, 1 a.m. So you pretty much do two days over there. I know that you're doing a great job with that. I know that you're doing a lot of play-by-play work. List goes on and on. So, Ben, let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything you've got going on in general. 
Yeah, as always, Greg, appreciate it. I'm at uh, Ben underscore Wilson underscore one. More importantly, on the VEASAN side, I lead into the Greg Peterson experience, the best show on our network. So that is the more important thing there, Greg, of my VEASAN duties. The best show on the network. I can sense the sarcasm coming out a little bit, but with that said, I do appreciate the compliment. No sarcasm. That is even more appreciated. Ben does an absolutely terrific job over there at VEASAN. Does a great job with all of his play-by-play work. Does a great job just evaluating the game of baseball in general and it's always a pleasure to have him on this podcast so big thanks to ben for joining me right here on the baseball betting podcast and coming up next it is that time the podcast to give you sign journal on every game on the betting board for this sunday and a little something like call touch them all Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always a pleasure to get Ben Wilson on the podcast. He does great work over there at Beeson. You're able to catch a lot of his play-by-play work throughout all sports seasons as well. He mostly does college sports out here on the West Coast. Does a great job with that and does a great job whenever he joins this podcast. So, big thanks to him. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Sunday. And a little something like to call, touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it. So, it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes, and I anticipate there being a lot of them. That are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. This is always the toughest day of the year to handicap because we're probably going to have a lot of bullpen games. We're probably going to have a lot of changing pictures. So I'm going to do my absolute best with this. If I give you a little bit less than a normal days, it's just because of the situation. Once we get into the postseason, we're certainly going to be seeing a whole heck of a lot. Fewer pitching changes. We're going to have things reined in with regards to these bullpens. But with that said, there's still money to be made on the betting board for this Sunday. So let's dive into it as we go in rotation order, which begins with the National League games, then the American League games, and any interleague games will be at the bottom, and we've got one of those. But we do begin with 951-952 on the betting board. The Cincinnati Reds, yes, we are on the Cincinnati, and they're under the road to face off against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Pittsburgh Pirates have a to-be-determined starter. I am pretty much determining that this is going to be a bullpen game. And then you've got for the Cincinnati Reds, Revieta said Mutton. And this is a game that is currently off the board. And I wound up setting the Reds in this spot with a bullpen game against San Martin. A minus 169 favorite on the Reds. Minus 113 on the run line. Nine or lower going to be taking a look at the over 9.5 or higher. I'm going to be taking a look at the under. You take a look at this Reds team. And going into yesterday, they had scored four runs or fewer in 13 out of their last 14 road games. But you take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates. And what can you really expect out of this bullpen? You've got guys like Shea Spitzbarth, Cody Ponce, Chad Cool, And I do think that Cool probably going to be pitching a couple innings in this one because he actually began this season as a starter right around a 480 ADRA with him giving up about 1.5 home runs per nine innings. But you take a look at Sam Martin. He wound up making his MLB debut against the Pittsburgh Pirates and looked relatively solid. Five and two-thirds innings wound up giving up one run. He's a young 25-year-old that showed some upside out there at the minor league level. So I think that he's going to do a solid job of folding down the fort. And for the Reds, this is a bullpen in which their ERA going into this weekend over the last 40 days have been in the top eight with regards to the MLB. Michael Givens, Lee Sessa, I've been able to do a solid job, but we've seen it recently with Steve Michael Lorenzen. A few days ago, gave up five runs without getting a single out. Jeff Hoffman has been okay out of the bullpen, but... 
I do think that we're going to see in a little bit of explosion here with these Cincinnati Reds bats. You've got Nick Cassianos, Joey Votto, and Eugenio Suarez. All guys that wound up playing yesterday. All guys that have given you 30-plus home runs. And you take a look at Suarez. He's really closing out the season on a flurry as over the last three days hitting a 344. So he's looked solid there. Max Schrock is hitting about a 280. Jonathan India was out of the fold yesterday, but when he's been hitting leadoff, he's got a 380 on base throughout the 20 home runs. Jose Barrero along with the Lionel of the Shields Jr. He's got his RNS32 grade. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Brian Reynolds was back to fold yesterday. He's hitting a 300. He's been able to give you north of 20 home runs, and he's the only guy in the starting lineup for the Pittsburgh Pirates with 20-plus home runs, but do have a couple guys getting on base, like a Ben Gamble, Jacob Sellings. Both of these guys are right in the pocket of about a 240, and then you've got Yoshi Satsugo. Ever since getting to the Pittsburgh Pirates, hitting about a 275, he's been able to give the team eight home runs in about 40 or three or so games. Cole Tucker has not been good this year, along with Michael Chavis, but both of these guys have looked a little bit more promising recently, so I do take a look at the spot. I do think that the Reds should be a sizable favorite. I personally wind up setting them more in that neighborhood of about a minus 169 officially and then like I said a 9 or lower. Going to be taking a look at the over 9 and a half or higher to the under 953-954 on the bang board. You have the San Francisco Giants and they're going to be playing us to the Slam Diego Padres. To be determined is going to be going for the Padres and who knows who's going to be managing this game. And Logan Webb is going to be on the bump for the Giants. No numbers up on this game, but I set the Giants at a minus 228 in this one. Logan Webb has been absolutely masterful for the San Francisco Giants. The team is 19-2 in his last 21 starts. He has allowed three runs or fewer in all but three of those starts as well. So he has been darn near lights out. And you take a look at Logan Webb at home so far this year. Buck 63 RA. Giving up four home runs and 15 walks and 66 in the third innings. Opponents are getting a 210 off of him. And this is a San Francisco Giants team that even though they're without Brandon Belt right now, they've still got a whole bunch of mashers. All these guys have been able to give you at least 18 home runs so far this year. Lamonte Wade. Buster Posey, Mike Ustremski, Chris Bryant, and Brandon Crawford. And you even have Darren Ruff, who's got 16 home runs. He wanted to turn it into the fold yesterday. You've got Evan Longoria. He's been able to do a nice job. He's hitting right in the neighborhood about a 265 to a 270-ish whenever he's been out there. So that is rock solid. And the San Francisco Giants team leads the league in bullpen ERA. Kervin Castro, ever since he's gotten an opportunity, has been terrific. Camilo Duval has been able to give you some good innings with right around 3 ERA. Dominic Leone, about a buck 50 ERA. Jake McGee, Tyler Rogers. I realize that McGee has been a little bit shaky, but by and large, these guys have been able to get the job done. And for the Padres, they're just trotting out there. The poo-poo platter pitchers at this point. They have been just so diminished by injuries. Good news is they were able to get five innings out of Joe Musgrove yesterday, but guys like Pierce Johnson, Craig Stammen, you go up and down the list, and these guys that were so amazing because with the Padres going into the month of August, number one bullpen area in the big leagues, they've just been used up too much. Reese Kinnar is someone that I think is going to be able to get a couple innings in this spot. He's got right around a 485 ERA, began the year at AA. James Norwood is probably going to be giving you a little bit of something. And then you take a look at the Padres, and no question, you got to figure that Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be out there trying to pad the fact that he's already got 42 home runs, tried to get to 100 RBI, so you've got a little bit of motivation there. You've got a couple other guys that are out there that they're going to be giving it their all, no question. Manny Machado is sitting at 280. He's going to try to get to 30 home runs, but then you've got guys like Jerickson Profar, Trent Grisham. These guys have an on-base percentage that is right around about a 330, but the batting averages are a sub-245 as well, so I do take a look at the spot. I do think that the San Francisco Giants should be a sizable favorite. I think that the Padres are going to be caught up in the web of Logan and the Padres, well, they're 
pitching just has not been great. And also keep in mind, ever since the beginning of the month of August, the Padres scoring the fewest runs per game, right around 4.1 of any team in the National League. So set this all at an 8.7 and 8.5 or lower. I'm going to be taking a look at the over 9 or higher to the under end. Set the Giants at minus 228 on the money line, minus 133 on the run line. 9.55, 9.56 on the bang board. The Philadelphia Phillies set their own face off against the Miami Marlins. Another game without lines, but Pablo Lopez is going to be going for the Marlins. I was seeing before Zach Wheeler going for the Philadelphia Phillies. Right now, the betting board has to be determined. I was seeing Wheeler a little bit earlier, so I'm going to be setting the line accordingly. With the Phillies a little bit north of a minus 160 favorite, I settled in at minus 163. Right around even money-ish on the run line, and this would be a spot in which a 7 or lower I'd be taking a look at the over, a 7.5 higher. I'd be taking a look at the under. Now, you take a look at our good friend, Mr. Pablo Lopez, and when he's at full force, this is a guy that you actually do want to bet on, but at the same time, this is a guy, Pablo Lopez, that... You just take a look at it, and we haven't seen much of him, and for Zach Wheeler on the other end, he wound up having a little bit of a rough month of August, but here in September, he wound up looking very good, so he comes in very good form, and I do think that there might be a little bit of something to pitch for for Zach Wheeler with the strikeouts crown, perhaps being up for grabs, he's got 247 for the year, I think he should have it, but that is something that you want to be taking a look at with Wheeler, 335 ERA on the road, giving up just four home runs and 88 and two-thirds innings, and you do have a Miami ballpark that is the most pitcher friendly out there in baseball. Meanwhile, for Lopez, I did mention it. This will be his first start since July 11th, so it has been quite a while from, and he was rolling this season. I mean, he had given up 300 runs or fewer in each out of his previous five starts at home at 226 ERA, but you can't figure that you're going to get much more than like three, maybe four innings out of him, and then he turns to a bullpen that isn't too bad for the Miami Marlins. You've had guys like Dylan Floro do a solid job. Now they're giving guys like Andrew Bellotti a couple innings. I know that they wanted trotting out there. Preston Gilmet a couple days ago as well, but by and large, bullpen has been very solid for the Philadelphia Phillies. They wound up using up a lot of their bullpen yesterday's. Hans Kraus wound up getting the start. He wound up going four innings, so you're probably going to get the poo-poo platter of Philadelphia Phillies after you wind up having Wheeler go about five or so innings, and you do take a look at the Phillies, and they're utilizing a lot of their young guys right now. Bryce Harper is still out there. He's been able to give the team 19 home runs out ever since the beginning of the month of August. He has been superb, but you wind up seeing Alec Bohm wind up getting some at-bats. Matt Vierling has actually been very good, hitting well above a 300 for this team. So I like him, Freddie Galvis, Ronald Torres, both of these guys sitting between about a 242, 250. And then you take a look at the Miami Marlins that Miguel Rojas is hitting a 265. Brian De La Cruz, since coming off the injured list, has been really rough. He was hitting about a 330 prior to going on the injured list. But with Aces Aguiar on the fold, you've got Jazz Chislam and Asu Sanchez as the only two guys that currently have a double-digit amount of formers in this lineup. And Sanchez has been missing the last few days. So going to have a lot of guys sitting at 225 or lower, like a Luan Diaz, Eddie Alvarez, Austin Jackson, list goes on and on. So that is not necessarily what you want. And you just take a look at the spot. And I do think that if you wind up getting Zach Wheeler, going to be a dominant performance from him. If you wind up getting pretty much a bullpen game of the Philadelphia Phillies, I'd probably be setting this closer to a pick if not the Miami Marlins, a very slight favorite. I think that whether or not Zach Wheeler goes is going to be absolutely massive. Like I said, with Wheeler, a 7 or lower, I'm going to be taking a look at the over 7 half prior to the under if it winds up being a Phillies bullpen game. i probably bump that up a full run. 9.57, 9.58 on the betting board. The Colorado Rockies hit the road faceoff against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Umberto Mejia is going to be going for the Diamondbacks. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Rockies, you've got good old to be determined. I was seeing one Urban Marquez a little bit earlier, but obviously this is very much subject to change. And you take a look at what you're going to be able to get out of Mr. Mejia, the guy that we know is going to be going. And 
He has not been good. He has made two starts at home with a 12-15 ERA. Now, that's obviously a very small sample size. Only made four starts so far this year, but you just take a look at it. He has given up a combined 13 runs in his last three starts, standing 12 and two-thirds innings. This is someone at the minor league level. Was not necessarily too dominant. His swing and miss stuff actually isn't terrible. You take a look at what he's been able to do there. 15 strikeouts in 17 and two-thirds innings, but he's just been giving up bomb upon bomb. And you take a look at the Colorado Rockies, and this is a team that... Ever since the All-Star break has actually been halfway respectable on the road. They got off to that putrid 6-33 road start. But ever since then, going into last night, 18-16 and in their last 34 road games. So they've actually been a little bit sneaky with that. With the Colorado Rockies, Brendan Rodgers on the road has been able to ride around a 275. Charlie Blackman has been able to give you a little bit of something when it comes to adding average. Not so much power, Trevor. Sorry, it's been a little bit of a hot mess on the road. But C.J. Crone in the team's final two road swings has like seven home runs. And then you got an Arizona Diamondbacks team that... You don't have anyone with more than 13 home runs. Keitel Marte of the Marte Parte along Carson Kelly are both of those gentlemen. With Marte, he's hitting at 317. You've got Paven Smith who's hitting right around at 265 along with Josh Rojas. And pretty much other than that, you don't have a single guy hitting above a 260 for this team. I am very curious to see what you get out of Geraldo Perdomo. I know the Arizona Diamondbacks have been featuring him quite a bit, but you take a look at this Diamondbacks bullpen, and it is just not good. You got Tyler Clifford fighting for survival in the big leagues. Luis Frias has north of a 6 ERA. Sean Pop and his ERA is popping north of 5. Joe Manette, typically along the way, Ramirez been able to give you a tad bit of something. And for the Colorado Rockies, they've been a mess on the road. But, I mean, you even take a look at it. Someone like even a Robert Stevenson has been able to give you a couple innings for this team recently. Tyler Kinley on the road has been solid. Ashen Gadu on the road as a 3-RA. Daniel Bart has been a hot mess. But I take a look at this spot. And if you do wind up getting Armand Marquez, I'm going to be setting the Rockies as closer to right around a minus 150-ish favorite. Because with Marquez, throughout his career, this year not withholding, he has had a significantly better ERA when he has been on the road than at home, right around a full point better. Now at home, you take a look at him this year. 367 ERA compared to a 538 on the road, but still, he has been relatively dominant in everything that we've seen out of him recently. You take a look at Irma Marquez, and he's done a better job of being able to keep down the deep ball this year rather than in past years. He's given up approximately 1.05 home runs per nine innings. So that has been pretty rock solid. 3.2 walks per nine innings. Nothing great, nothing terrible. We have seen a little bit of regression out of him recently as he has given up three plus runs in each out of his last three starts. But you do take a look at it and one of those starts was against the LA Dodgers and a lot of those games were actually at home. So I do think that you're going to be able to have Herman Marquez give a good start if he winds up going in this one. This is a total in which if it's Marquez versus Mejia, enough for Laura going to be taking a look at the over nine or higher to the under. And like I said with Marquez, setting the Rockies more on about a minus 150 favorite. 959-960 on the betting board. I was seeing the Dodgers versus Brewers game with Walker Buehler versus Freddie Peralta earlier, but in this Brewers versus Dodgers matchup, we've right now got two DBDs. If it is, in fact, Buehler versus Freddie Peralta, I will be setting the Dodgers as a minus 177 favorite. I'd be looking at more around a plus 115 to a plus 120 on the laying run and half on the run line, and it would be a spot in which is 7 or lower. I'd be taking a look at the over 7.5 or higher to the under. Keep in mind with the Milwaukee Brewers, they are dealing with some ailments in their bullpen. We talked about this with Matt Pauly on the podcast yesterday, but Jay Cousins currently on the injured list. You're going to be without Devin Williams. And for Freddie Peralta, I have not been impressed by him since coming out the injured list. Three plus runs given up in four out of his last five starts. Prior to that, he had given up two runs or fewer in 14 out of his last 16 starts. So we certainly have seen Peralta be a little bit more of a fade. It does look like Walker Buehler is locked in for the LA Dodgers now. Now the question is whether we get Peralta or not for the 
Brewers. So either way, the Dodgers are going to be a very sizable favorite here. But you do take a look at Bueller. He has been getting touched up a little bit more recently. He has given up at least three runs in now three out of his last five starts. And he is a man that he's went at least six innings in 29 out of his 32 starts. And he's backed up by the number two bullpen up there in the big leagues as well. I feel like a lot of these guys like it. Justin Brule, Phil Bickford, Alex Vesia, they've all been going under the radar for the Dodgers. Now, they did wind up using Bersuto Gratterall for quite a bit of something on Friday. So whether or not he's going to be available, TBD, and he's got right around a 4-6 ERA over the last three days, but Joe Kelly has really been able to find it for the team. Kenley Jansen has actually looked very good recently as well, and then you take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers, and it's a bunch of which they are dealing with a couple of ailments. When it comes to the lineup, you've got William Adams, who's been playing through injury. I know that Eduardo Escobar has been dealing with some ailments, but these two guys have been able to give you 24-plus home runs. You've got Luis Odias, who was out of the fold yesterday, but they did wind up getting back Rowdy Tellez, and ever since Tellez has come over to the Milwaukee Brewers, he has been able to do a very good job. He has been hitting right in the neighborhood about a 270. He wound up having seven home runs in his first 54 games with the team. He's done a good job of being able to get some extra base hits, so he's done a good job of being able to move the line. Christian Yelich, as we know, he's had a little bit of a rough year, and you've got to figure that the Dodgers are going to be going all out with the San Francisco Giants taking a loss yesterday, and you've got Mookie Betts, Trey Turner down for what? Justin Turner down for what? Max Muncy, A.J. Pollock, Will Smith, Chris Taylor, all with at least 20 home runs for this team. I believe that pretty much all these guys, aside from Muncy, are hitting at least a 260 as well. The only guy in their starting lineup, aside from pitcher Julio Arias, who was hitting below a 247 in the lineup yesterday, that'd be Cody Bellinger. So, I mean, you've got a lot of firepower there. If it does wind up being Peralta against Bueller, this is a spot in which I'm making the Dodgers right around minus 177 on the money line. Like I said, a 7 or lower to the over, 7 half higher to the under. And if it winds up being something else for the Brewers, Dodgers likely go north of $2. 961, 962 on the bang board. The Chicago Cubs hit the red face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Our first game with actual numbers on the betting board as Alec Mills is going to be going for the Cubs and Jake Woodford is going to be going for the Cardinals. You're finding the Cardinals anywhere between a minus 173 and a minus 180 favorite. Meanwhile, your plus price when it comes to the Cubs is anywhere between plus 155 and plus 161 with 9 being your total. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 125. The over is anywhere between plus 105 and minus 110. And this is a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. They wound up going into yesterday's matchup having won an absolutely unbelievable 19 out of their last 20 games. If you're looking at the run line of the Cardinals, I'm seeing it as high as a plus 125 at DraftKings. A lot of plus 110s other places and I was willing to lay a little bit of a price here with Woodford. He's been able to do relatively solid job for the St. Louis Cardinals ever since he got a little bit of an opportunity. He wound up coming in in long relief in early September in a game against the Milwaukee Brewers. Ever since then, they've been using him as a starter instead of Kwon Young Kim and he's taken the opportunity and he's run with it. In his last five we're going to call them pitching chances because it includes that long relief spot in which he wound up pitching five and a third against the Brewers. Two runs or fewer given up on every one of them. Has not given up a home run. Two walks or fewer every time out. So he has been very solid ever since really the beginning of the month of September. Then you take a look at Alec Mills and it's been a little bit rough for him. Now on the road he hasn't necessarily been too bad. 5-10 road ERA compared to a 5-0-7 at home. So relatively comparable there giving up six home runs in 60 innings on the road. But 
He just gives up too much contact in general. Overall, teams are rating at 292 off of him. You take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, and you've got a team that they are very motivated. They want to stay as hot as possible, and got a lot of guys sitting between, I would say, about a 250 to a 270. Harrison Bader, you're able to throw in there. Nolan Arenado, Dylan Carlson, Yadier Molina, Umando Sosa wanted up returning. He's hitting a little bit above that number as well. So this goes on and on. You're able to throw in there. Tommy Edmond as well. And then you've got Tyler O'Neill and Paul Goldschmidt. A pair of guys with north of 30 home runs. And for Paul Goldschmidt, I legitimately think that this guy deserves a little bit of hype for MVP. You take a look at what he's done ever since the beginning of the month of July. His on-base percentage has been right around like a 420. It's absolutely ridiculous to watch in this time span as well. In the months of August and September, he has been able to belt out 17 home runs. He's a big reason why the Cardinals are where they are right now, and the Cardinals have figured it out with their bullpen as well. I mentioned Quan Young Kim. He's been a good super reliever for this team. TJ McFarlane has been able to give you some good innings. Alex Reyes, ever since he got pulled from the closer spot, he has been very good. Over the last three days, he's got an ERA that's right around a 473. That's significantly better than it was with a 784 in the month of August. So he's been able to rein it in a little bit more with that regard. You've even got Luis Garcia that's been sought in for the Cubs. It's a bullpen that you want to know part of. Michael Rucker has just been getting ruckered up the last few days as he's got right around a 7.5 ERA. You've got Cody Oyer who's been falling back to earth. Scotty Frost is actually giving you a little bit of something, but I want no part of that Cubs bullpen in this spot. So this is a situation which I'm going to be taking a look at the Cardinals on the run line. I want to setting this all at an 8.8 personally, so I'm going to be going under on the 9, and I'm going to be taking the run line of the Cardinals. 963-964 on the bang board. The New York Metropolitans hit the road faceoff against the Atlanta Braves as the Braves have yet to decide who's going to be starting for them, and Noah Thor Syndergaard is going to be going for the New York Mets. I really can't give you too much right now because we just have no earthly idea what the Atlanta Braves are going to be doing. They wound up going with a bullpen game yesterday with Jesse Chavez starting in. It went very well for them, actually, but take a look at the Atlanta Braves and they could literally go in any direction. I know that they are benching a few guys for these final few days of the regular season. I know that Ore Soler has gotten a couple days off with Jack Peterson filling in for him and Peterson wound up getting his 18th home run of the season yesterday. Orlando Arcia has been playing a little bit. Freddie Freeman has still been out there recently. He's hitting about a 300, but Austin Riley, I know they've given him a couple days off as well. So you've got a little bit of a mismatch of Atlanta Braves players, but even guys like Ihir Adrianza and Eddie Rosario have been starting and they've been doing a solid job hitting between a 252 and 260 and the Mets have tried it out there. Most of their normal guys. Javi Baez wound up being out of the fold yesterday, but you do have Pete Alonso. He's got 37 home runs. He's been hitting about a 260 for the team. Brandon Nimmo's back. He's hitting right in the neighbor about a 300. Jonathan VR, Jeff McNeil. pair of guys hitting about a 250. Luis Colorme has been able to get some at-bats and he's been okay. And Francisco Lindor, over the last three days, has been starting to live up to that contract. He had that three home run game a few weeks ago against the New York Yankees. All in all, in the last three days, hitting about a 270 with nine home runs. So give him a little bit of credit for picking it up. And this is a Mets bullpen that you are able to rely upon a little bit. And you got to figure that Noah Syndergaard is only going to be going about two, three innings. He was used as an opener de jour his first time out since 2019. He wound up coming in for a whopping one inning against the Miami Marlins. I think that they're going to let him go a little bit longer in this one, but I think that you're probably looking at like three innings out of him, and then you turn it over to a bullpen of guys like Miguel Castro, Robbie Gazelman is now in the roster. So 
got to figure that he's going to be a little bit of an innings eater. Guys like Trevor May, even someone like an Aaron Loop, these guys have been relatively sought out of the bullpen. I'm thinking that I'm probably going to be setting a total in which an 8.5 or lower, I'm going to be taking a look at the over 9 or higher to the under. And probably the Braves as a favorite in some form or capacity, but we just need to know a little bit more about the Atlanta Braves before I can give you much on this. 9.65, 9.66 on the betting board. The Cleveland Indians are going to be hitting the road faceoff against the Texas Rangers. Dane Gitter Dunning is going to be trying to get her done for the Texas Rangers. Meanwhile, for the Indians, it is going to be Aaron Savali taking the bump. And with Savali taking the bump, I'm going to be making the Indians quite a bit of a favorite here. I wound up setting them as a minus 136. Personally, I take a look at this spot, and Dane Dunning has actually been significantly better at home versus on the road, and we currently have no numbers as Savali wound up getting announced as a starter literally when I came on this podcast, but you do take a look at Dunning. At home, he's been rock solid. 267 home, you're right. 5-2 record in Arlington, giving up 4 home runs in 64 innings. He's been terrible on the road. Nine home runs given up in 50 and two-thirds innings on the road. Opponents earning a 299 off of them. Away from Arlington, 250 at home. 0-7 record with a 639 ERA away from Texas. Now, I will say for the Texas Rangers, you do have a bullpen that has been improving a little bit. Jarrell Cotton seems to be regressing in his last few appearances, but Drew Anderson has been able to give you some nice length. Joe Barlow has a sub-2 ERA. Brett Martin has been able to come through for you as well. So, you've got a little bit of something going on there, but the Cleveland Indians, they also have some good bullpen pieces. Emmanuel Class A, a sub-2 ERA. Blake Parker, a sub-3 ERA. Brian Shaw, Trevor Steven. They've been a little bit up and down, but they've been able to give you some good innings along with Anthony Goves, who's got a sub-2 ERA ever since he wound up getting the call. And for the Cleveland Indians, you do have a pair of mashers in Jose Ramirez along with Fran Reyes, who have been able to give you 30-plus home runs. Both of these guys were in the fold yesterday. Both of these guys are on there. Harold Ramirez, Miles Straw, all in between about a 255 to 275 now. You've got some slugs in the lineup. Yu Chang, Bobby Bradley, Andres Jimenez. These guys are in between about a 215 to a 230. And then you take a look at Roberto Perez. Even someone like Austin Edge is hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. That's a little bit tough, but the Texas Rangers have scored the fewest runs per game by far of any team in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. You have had Adolis Garcia give you 31 home runs if you're the Rangers, but four of those home runs have come in the last 40 days. Andy Ibanez along with Nate Lowe are both hitting between about a 265 to 275. Isaiah Canerfalefa is hitting right around 275 as well. Willie Cowan has come back to give you a little bit of something. Jonah Hine, Brock Cole, Leody Tavares, these guys are only a 215 or lower. So I did take a look at this spot. I think that it's going to be tough sliding for the Texas Rangers. And with Aaron Savali, he has been someone that ever since coming off the injured list, it has been up and down from to say the least, 11-5 record overall. But overall for the year, he's given up nearly two home runs per nine innings. On the road, he's actually been much better at home. 332 road ERA compared to a home ERA of right around 482. Still giving up bombs, 11 home runs in 62 and a third innings on the road. And you just take a look at what he wound up doing in the month of September. It is five starts, a 740 ERA. Haven't given up at least four runs in three out of his last four starts, but the lone start in which was very good was, ironically enough, on the road against the New York Yankees. So I did wind up saying the Indians in this spot as a minus 136 favorite, a nine and a half or lower. I'm going to be taking a look at the over, a 10 or higher. I'm going to be taking a look at the under because I do think that both of these teams are going to be able to bust out with bats in this spot, and I do think that you're going to see Savali probably have a little bit of a shorter outing, and I think that the Rangers are going to do some experimenting here. As Dunning has not been used for more than, I would say, about three innings the last few starts. 967-968 on the bank board. The Tampa Bay Rays have thrown face off against the New York Yankees. Jamison Dion is going to be going for the Yankees. And Michael Waka as we do our dying Pac-Man voice. Waka, 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 Waka. Going to be going for the Rays. We have no numbers up on this game, but fortunately we at the very least know who the pitching matchup is going to be. And with Dion, I've got to be making them a little bit of a favorite in this spot. 
with the Yankees. I wound up saying them more in the pocket of about a minus 145-ish favorite in this spot, which means that you've got a plus 145 on the Tampa Bay Rays. The Rays have been able to do an absolutely tremendous job of being able to rehabilitate so many careers, and the one that they've had a little bit of a pesky time with is Mr. Michael Walker, as he's got an ERA that's hovering right around a 5-5, and you just take a look at Walker in general, and it has been a very difficult sledding for him, to say the least, and then you got a guy in Jameson Tyon, who has been not necessarily the world's greatest for the New York Yankees recently. Overall for the year, a 440 ERA, and he was the pitcher of the month in the American League in the month of July, but you take a look at what wound up happening in the month of September. A 552 ERA wound up giving up six home runs over the course of 31 innings, and has now given up at least three runs in six out of his last eight starts. Now, in one of those starts, it only was a two and a third inning start against the Toronto Blue Jays, so they used them in a very small dose, and with the Yankees, we got quite a few guys that are serving as sort of super relievers that can give you quite a few innings. Someone like a Luis Severino, Jonathan Luiz gets off the injured list. He's able to give you multiple innings. Chad Green as well, so that's going to help out along with Domingo Herman, so you got a little bit of something there, and this is a game in which the Yankees really do need, because if they wind up losing this one, they do fall into that trap of perhaps having to play a game 163, being that wild card tango, if you will, but you do have a tree of guys with the Yankees that have been able to supply at least 35 home runs for you. Joey Gallo, Giancarlo Santana, along with Aaron Judge, and Giancarlo Santana. Over the last 40 games for this team, it's getting like a home run every two games. It has been absolutely amazing to see. You've got DJ LeMayu, Gio Urshela, Tyler Wade, along with Labor Torres, only between about a 259 to 269 as well. Anthony Rizzo, since coming over with the team, is hitting right around a 250 ever since his first few games. Hasn't been hitting a bunch of bombs, but at the same time, has been very good for the New York Yankees. Then you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays, and this is a bunch of which they do have a trio of matchers with at least 30 home runs themselves. And Brandon Lau, Mike Zanino, throw in there Nelson Cruz as well. And then Austin Meadows, 106 RBI, 27 home runs. He's got right around a 315 on base with Brandon Lau. He's now hitting about a 250, and Lau has been very loud here over the last 30 days. How about him being able to supply five home runs, which isn't necessarily too impressive, but 305 batting average with a 358 on base. We've also got someone like a G-Man Choi, who's been able to do a very solid job for this punch as well, of just being able to reach base in general. So I think that that's going to be very beneficial for this team as he's hitting right around 230-ish, but at the same time, his on-base percentage, that has been more in the neighborhood of about a 350, and you've got that with Yandy Diaz as well. Yandy Diaz is hitting more in the pocket of about a 250, but his on-base is a 350. Wander Franco is back in the fold as well. So I do take a look at this spot with the Tampa Bay Rays, having all the bullpen pieces that they do, and I think that they're going to be used very, very immediately. J.P. Fireisen did wind up getting used up yesterday. Shane Boss did not wind up completing three innings, so you do have quite a few bullpen pieces. So you're going to need a little bit of length out of Waco, in his last start, actually wound up going five scoreless against the Houston Astros, but still, it is a situation which he's got a 526 ERA, 23 home runs, give it up at 119 and two-thirds innings, and on the road, a 605 ERA with 14 home runs, give it up at 60 four innings, so I do think that you're going to be looking to guys like Lewis and company for quite a few innings, so setting the Yankees as a minus 145 favorite here, a 9 or lower, I'm going to be taking a look at the over 9 and after I'm going to be taking a look at the under with the race being the top scoring offense in all of baseball as of right now. 969, 970 on the bank board. The Baltimore Orioles hit the road face off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Hunjin Ryu is going to be going for the Jays and Bruce Zimmerman is going to be on the bump for the Orioles. I want him saying the Blue Jays as a minus 345 favorite in this spot. We currently have no numbers up on this game, but 
I also wound up setting the total at 10.5. So, a 10 or lower, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. And 11, I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the under. If we wind up getting exactly a 10.5, it depends on where the juice is. If you're getting, like, even money on 10.5 to go over, then I'd be taking a look at the over. If you're getting even money to go under, then we'd be taking a look at the under. But I do take a look at Hunjin Ryu, and he certainly has had his warts, shall we say, for the Blue Jays recently. It has not been necessarily Hunjin Ryu that we've come to expect. It looked like his velocity was back a little bit more in his previous start, but you just take a look at the numbers with Hunjin Ryu and in the month of September, this guy bad perhaps the worst month of his career as he wound up having in the month of September an ERA of a 920. He only wound up making four starts as he spent a little bit of time just being banged up in general, but this is a man that has now given up at least three runs in now five out of his last six starts, and just a situation in which he's given up a bunch of deep balls as well. This is a man that has now given up a grand total of eight home runs over the course of his last five starts. And if there is a redeeming quality with the Baltimore Orioles, it is the fact that you've got a couple guys that are solid in the lineup. Cedric Mullins, Ryan Mountcastle, both 30-plus home runs. Mullins is hitting about a 290. We've seen a little bit of regression with that, but you've got Mountcastle, Austin the Sayers kid, Trey Boomo Mancini, Anthony Santander, Pedro Severino, all guys hitting about a 242 to, I would say, about a 256 with Hayes and Mancini, both of these guys have north of 20 home runs as well. Then you do have the slugs in this lineup. Domingo Leyba, Pat Faleka, Austin Wins, Ryan McKenna, Nick Cufo, DJ Turnitup, Stewart, all hitting about a 215 or lower. And then you do have a Toronto Blue Jays team that they're just ripping the cover off the ball. George Springer the last few days has looked like the George Springer of old. You've got Flagero Jr. and Marcus Simeon. Both of these guys have provided 43 plus home runs with Guerrero trying to track down Salvador Perez for that home run title. He's got 47 of them. Boba Shett, along with Teoscar Hernandez. Both of these guys hitting between a 294 and a 300 with both of these guys 29 plus home runs. So, got a lot of firepower there. And this is a Blue Jays team in which they got seven strong innings out of Alec Manoa, which means that Adam Simber is going to be rested in the bullpen. Jordan Romano is going to be able to give you a little bit of something as well. So, I do think that this is a must win for a Blue Jays team that they've got everything that you want in a must win game. So, I'm probably going to be taking a look at the Blue Jays on the run line. I'd be willing to lay about a minus 180 in that regard. And like I said, 10.5 is where I'm setting this total. So anything below 10.5 is certainly going to be taken on the over. If you wind up getting up to 11 or higher, I'm going to be taking a look at the under, but I would be very surprised if we wind up getting that. 971, 972 on the bank board. The LA Angels hit the road face off against the Seattle Mariners. Tyler Anderson is going to be going for the M's. Meanwhile, you've got Reed Detmers who's going to be on the bump for the Angels. Currently, we've got no numbers up on this game, but I wound up setting the Mariners as a minus 207 favorite. I wound up making this total 9, so sort of like the situation we had with that Blue Jays versus Orioles game, in which if it winds up being 9 exactly, it depends on which way the juice winds up shaking. An 8.5 or lower certainly going to be taking a look at the over. A 9.5 or higher certainly going to be taking a look at the under. And you take a look at Anderson, and he's been using a lot of 4 to 5 inning doses recently here with the Mariners. He's been pitching a little bit on short rest. He's a little bit more rested in this start, but he has went fewer than 5 innings and now 4 out of his last 5 starts, and he's given up approximately 1 run in 3 out of his last 4. So he hasn't necessarily been too ineffective, and what has been really good about Mr. Anderson is the fact that he's done a good job of being able to keep the walks down. You take a look at him ever since he wound up getting to Seattle, and his walks per 9 rate is hovering right around about a 1.7-ish. You take a look at him overall between his time with Pittsburgh and Seattle. A 3-11 home ERA compared to a road ERA that is north of 5. Now he has given up 13 bombs in 72 and a third innings in his time with Pittsburgh and Seattle at home, but they're also going up against a team. The Mariners are in the Angels that trot out there. Mr. 7-11 with his ERA 
Reed Detmers. And when your ERA is 7-11, you're always open to giving up runs. This is a man that on the road so far this year has an 8-31 ERA. Detmers wound up spending some time on the injured list, so this is going to be his first start since late August as well. You take a look at Detmers in his career four starts. He's given up three-plus runs in three of them. He's given up at least one home run in every one of his starts. He's given up at least two walks in every one of his starts, and he's backed up by a bullpen that, other than Rossi Iglesias, which you need to get him a lead to be able to get him the ball, has been really bad. Jimmy Argoat has not been terrific. James White has an ERA that is a 675. Andrew Wants, he's got a north of five ERA. Sam Selman, his ERA is right around six, and then you take a look at the Angels. They are scoring the second fewest runs per game of any team in the American League since the All-Star break. Shoy Otani, he's got 45 home runs, but I believe that he's got something like four of them over the last 40 days. That has been tough. Jared Walsh has five home runs ever since the All-Star break. Now, you take a look at Otani, Brandon Marsh, Phil Gosselin, and David Fletcher. All these guys are in between about a 255 to a 265, but Fletcher, ever since I would say the beginning of the month of August, he's hitting a sub-230. Max Sassy has seen regression with his batting average at right around 245. Jack Mayfield, Jose Rojas, Luis Ranifo, all these guys are in below a 220. And then you do take a look at the Seattle Mariners, and you've got a lot of slugs when it comes to batting average here, but Lewis Torrance, over the last three days, is hitting above a 300. He's got 15 home runs and 337 at-bats. He's been solid. Mitch Haniger, Kyle Seager, a combined 73 home runs going into yesterday. Hanniger is hitting about a 250. J.P. Crawford a 275 and two. Ty France a 290. You do take a look at Seager though. You're able to throw in there Jake Bowers, Jared Kelnick, Ore Mamalois, Tom Murphy, Shed Long, Dylan Moore, list goes on and on of guys that are hitting a 215 or lower for this bunch, but certainly you've been able to have a Seattle Mariners bullpen come through in spades for you all season long. Drew's second writer has right around a two-ish ERA. Casey Sadler's ERA is hovering right around one. Paul Sewell has seen a little bit of regression recently, but he has still been able to give you some good innings. Diego Castillo over the last 30 days has been able to produce for you as well. And then you take a look at Sean Doolittle, and he hasn't necessarily been able give the team a lot ever since he's come over but in his last three appearances he has been a little bit more rock solid as well so I do think that you've got a Mariners bullpen that is going to be up for the task in this one. I wound up saying the Mariners as a little bit north of a $2 favorite. I settled in at minus 207. I'm setting them minus 116 on the run line, and like I said, set this total at 9. So, in that for Laura, going to be taking a look at the over when it's a 9. Depends on the way that the juice winds up going in a 9, and for liar, going to be taking a look at the under. 973, 974 on the bang board. The Chicago White Sox are going to be playing us the Detroit Tigers in my New York Post play days. We've got Tyler Alexander is going to be going for the Tigres and Dylan Cease and Decease is going to be going for the White Sox. This is a game that was on the board. Now it's been pulled off the board, but I was seeing initial totals between about an 8.5 to a 9-ish on this one, and I wound up saying the total at 7.4, so I settled in on the under. I wouldn't be surprised if we wind up seeing this relisted perhaps at an 8, and I would still like it under as well. I want to make it in the total, like I said, at 7.4, and want to make it in the White White Sox, a minus 166 favorite. You take a look at Dylan Cisan. He was hit by a comebacker in his last start, but he is someone that has been very good at home. He's got some of the more demonstrative home and road splits that you're going to see among any starting pitcher. And you take a look at the other side for Mr. Alexander, and he has been able to do a relatively rock-solid job here for the Detroit Tigers, a Tigers team that has a top-10 bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break backing him up. With Alexander, he's got an ERA of a 374 on the road compared to a 420 at home, so that's been solid. Now he has given up 10 home runs in 55 and a third innings away from home, but this is actually a White Sox team that they don't necessarily thrive on the home run ball. They just do a good job of being able to give you contact in general. Alexander had a 281 ERA when you take a look at the month of September with two home runs given up in 25 and two-thirds innings, so he's been rock solid with that regard. If you look at just raw pitching appearances, he has given up three runs or fewer in each out of his last eight. And then you've got a guy in Dylan C, so I mentioned 
mentioned the home and road splits. He has been having a 322 home ERA compared to a 469 road ERA. He's given up three runs or fewer in all but one of his home starts so far this year. Now he has given up the deep ball, 12 home runs at 81 innings at home so far this year, but a 203 ERA is 12.2 strikeouts per nine innings. That leads all qualifying American League pitchers as well. And then you take a look at the White Sox, and this is a bunch that I would not be surprised if they wind up benching a few of their big guns as you wound up seeing in the lineup yesterday, Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, a pair of guys hitting above a 300 for Robert, more like a 340. Yasmani Grandal, ever since coming off the injury list, has been hitting well above a 300 with a home run every about eight to eight and a half or so at best. You've got quite a few guys in this fold that are hitting, I would say, about a 250 to a 265 for this team. So you got Gavin Cheats, Yoan Moncada. You're able to throw in there Laurie Garcia, Jose Abreu, all these guys doing a solid job there. And for Mr. Abreu, this is someone that I do expect to be playing because he's got 117 RBI. He's second in the league. You've got to feel like he wants to try to get a few more for that RBI title. And then you've got the Detroit Tigers who you've just seen a little bit of a drop-off when it comes to home run power in general. Jonathan Scope, I believe, has five home runs ever since the All-Star break. Robbie Grossman, Eric Koss, they've seen big-time regression as well. Both of these guys hitting between about a 230 to a 240. I will say for Grossman, he and Jamie Candelari have right around 355 on base. And Akil has been very solid. He's hitting about a 260. Isaac Paredes only hitting about a 220, but more like a 320 when it comes to on base. But with that Tigers bullpen, you already know with a couple of guys are going to be out of the fold in this one. Jose Cicero, Gregory Soto currently on the injured list, but you've been able to get some very good performances recently. Uh, Drew Hutchinson, a sub two ERA. Alex Lang over the last three days, he's got right around a two ish ERA. Jason Foley, Michael Fulmer, sub three five ERAs. And the White Sox bullpen has looked very good recently as well. You've got Aaron Bummer along with Ryan Burrow have been able to rein it in the last three days. Now, Garrett Crochet has been a little bit shaky since the beginning of the summertime, but Greg Kimbrell along with Liam Hendricks have been just absolutely rock solid as well. So, I take a look at this spot. New York Post play of the day is going to be the under. The only way I could take it over is if I get a 7 or lower. So, I wound up having a big giant difference there. And like I said, with the White Sox setting them as more around a minus 166 favorite. 975, 976 on the bang board. You've got the Minnesota Twins heading the road face off against the Kansas City Royals. Jackson Kohar is going to be going for the Royals and undecided is going to be on the bump for the Twins and even though the Twins are right now completely undecided, I'm probably going to be setting them as a favorite unless if we wind up getting just something really, really bad like they were trotting out their Andrew Albers to begin the year. That's something that I would not be able to get behind, but pretty much any competent starter, I'll probably be taking a look at the Minnesota Twins in this spot because you take a look at Gore and he's been getting a couple starts since coming up from the minor league level. Eight total appearances, seven starts. He is 0-5 with an 11-20 ERA. I mean, you just take a look at it. He's given up five plus runs in each out of his last four appearances. Three of those appearances have been four and a third innings or shorter. He's just given up the deep ball like crazy. Given up five home runs in that time span. And this is a man that when he's pitching Kansas City, I recognize it's a small sample size. He's got a nine year and a 13.86 on the road. I mean, opponents are overall hitting a 3.42 off of him. His walks per nine rate is north of six. There's just nothing to like here. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Minnesota Twins and well, you've got quite a few guys that they don't have a great batting average to say the least. You do have Byron Buxton who over the last 15 days since coming off the injured list, it has been a little bit error miss with him, but over the last 15 days he is back to the Byron Buxton of old. He's hitting like a 400 in this science fan. He looks absolutely amazing. You got Mitch Garver back. He's hitting about a 255 for the year. He's had a little bit of pop. Josh Donaldson, Miguel Sano, along with Ore Palanco, all at least 24 home runs for this team. Donaldson at 350 on base. Miguel Sano, over the last, I would say two months or so, he's got right around a 325 on base. Now you take a look at he, along with Andrelton Simmons, Jake Cave, Brent Rooker, you're able to throw in their Ben Roadfit, even Max Kepler. 
Kessler. These guys are hitting at 225 or lower, but Luis Rice is hitting at 290 for this team as well. Then you take a look at the Kansas City Royals, and their main thing is Salvador Perez. He probably wants one more home run to be able to give himself that home run title right now. Leads the league with 48 and earned 21 RBI. He has been impressive. He, Andrew Benatendi, Whit Merrifield, Ansel Alberto, all guys hitting between about a 268 to a 280. Nicky Lopez is hitting a 3 as well, but you've got a trio of guys in Cam Gallagher, Michael A. Taylor, Adelberto Mondesi, all in between about a 235 to a 245 as well, so a little bit of an intriguing spot, and both of these bullpens on the stretch have been solid. The Royals have had a top 10 bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break with Josh Stamount having a sub-2 ERA over the last three days. Jake Brent, Scott Barlow, both of these guys have been very rock solid. Joel Payampas has been able to give you something, and for the Minnesota Twins, Ralph Garza Jr. got roughed up a little bit earlier in the series, but he's been able to do some nice things for you. Wamanaya has an ERA that is in the realm of about a 2-5-ish, so he has been able to be a solid player for this team, and even Caleb Theobar recently, I've been very surprised because I thought that he was a little bit of a cast-off personally. He's got a 0-84 ERA over the last three days, so I do take a look at this spot. I'll probably be making it to where a 9 or lower will be a take on the over 9.5 prior to the under. It really does depend on that Twins pitcher, though, because you've got a guy in cover that I think is going to get absolutely destroyed, but I think that the bullpen will be able to stabilize from there, and I've got to think that I'm going to be saying the Twins as a favorite. It just depends on how big of a favorite base on the Twins starter. 977-978 on the banging board. We've got the Houston Astros, and they are going to be playing against the Oakland Athletics. Cole Irvin is going to be going for the A's, and Jose Arakidi is going to be on the bump for the Astros. We've got a known pitching matchup, but no numbers currently up on this game, so Booker Greg Peterson sets this as an 8 or lower being take on the over 8.5 prior to the under, and I made the Astros. Minus 173 on the money line, plus 107 if you're looking to lay a run and a half with them. For Jose Urakiti, he's got an absolutely tremendous strikeout to walk rate at home. For his career, it's hovering right around like 8-9. to nine. He has been absolutely amazing when it comes to that, and you've got a guy in Cole Irvin that he has just been getting absolutely tattooed recently. You take a look at Mr. Irvin, and this is a man that has given up at least three runs, and now, I'm not even kidding here, nine out of his last ten starts, so it has not been going well for him, to say the least, and he was doing a relatively okay job prior to that, but in the month of September, a 6.94 ERA, he has given up a combined ten home runs over his last ten starts, so things are really starting to regress there. And he's backed up by an Oakland A's bullpen that over the last 45 days, it ranks in the bottom six of the big leagues with regards to ERA, as you've seen Sergio Romo really just throw it into the tanker recently. You've not been able to get anything whatsoever out of someone like a James Caprillion ever since he got taken out of the starting full. Jake Diekman has had his rough goes of it recently. Deolis Carrera has actually been one of the better relievers for the scene, but even he over the last three days, a 7.20 ERA, so you've had a lot of ups and downs there, and then you take a look at the Houston Astros, and Kendall Graveman has been absolutely spectacular for the scene. You've been able to get good innings out of Ryan Presley. Brooks Raley is someone that you don't want any part in, and you might wind up seeing him for an inning, but Blake Taylor, Ryan Sanek, these guys have been relatively solid, and then with the Astros, I would not be surprised if you wind up seeing a couple of suds wind up getting a day off or something like that, but you saw Jose Altuve, Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, all in the fold yesterday. All these guys, 25-plus home runs. All these guys hitting at least a 270. Michael Brantley is back. He and Yoli Gurriel both hitting above a 310. Elamendis Diaz, one of the understudies for Carlos Correa. He's hitting right around 265. So you're in good hands there, even if you wind up getting Jose Siri. I like what you're getting there. And then for the Oakland A's, got quite a few guys with a good on base. You've got Matt Olson, Starling Marte of the Marte Parte, Tony Kemp, all these guys. At least a 370 on base. Mark Canna, he wound up being out of the fold yesterday, but whenever you've had him out there, he's got right around about a 
350 on base along Josh Harrison as well. You do have Matt Chapman, who's really been struggling. His batting average is about a buck fifty over the last three days, but he's been able to supply 13 home runs ever since the beginning of the month of August, so got a little bit of something there, and I can't believe it, but Pete Cosmo wound up getting the start yesterday for the Oakland A's. That just makes me laugh, so I did take a look at this spot. I do think that Jose Urquidy is going to be able to continue what he's really been able to do this year, and that's be relatively solid. He has given up right around 1.35-ish home runs per nine innings overall, but at home, 320 home area, giving up seven home runs in 45 innings, but opponents are at 202 off of him, and he's given up 1.2 walks per nine innings, so setting the Astros as right around about a minus 173 favorite, and like I said, eight or lower going to be taking a look at the over eight and a half prior to the under, and we wrap things up with 979, 980 on the baby board. You've got the Boston Red Sox on the road facing off against the Washington Nationals. There is a possibility in which Chris Sale winds up getting scratched from this, but as of right now, we are proceeding as if Chris Sale is going to be starter for the Boston Red Sox, and I think that you're going to get the doo-doo platter of Washington Nationals pitchers in this one, and if you wind up getting the doo-doo platter, I'm going to be saying the Red Sox right around a minus 260 favorite, and this is a spot in which a 9.5 or lower, I'm going to be taking a look at the over a 10 or higher to the under. You take a look at the Washington Nationals, and things are not going well for them. I think that John Nolan might wind up getting a couple innings. I do recognize they was used up on Friday, but they've been using him in a lot of two, three inning doses, and he's actually been relatively solid with about a 4-4 ERA. Patrick Murphy, he's someone that you don't want any part of north of a 5 ERA. Ryan Harper has just been absolutely terrible for the team recently. I don't think that you're going to see Eric Fetty Wap as I think that his last start wound up being on Wednesday, so you've got not a lot of options there, and you do take a look at what you've been able to get out of Chris Sale, and Sale has been able to do an absolutely amazing job for the team. Three runs or fewer given up in all but one of his starts. When it comes to earned runs, three earned runs or fewer in every one of them as well. He has been allowing the deep ball a little bit, giving up six home runs over the course of 40 and a third innings, but just nine walks as well, so he's been able to be very solid for a Boston Red Sox team, in which they've been able to do a good job with their bats. They were able to emerge a little bit late. They've been able to do that, as a matter of fact, in both games of their series, and you just take a look at the Boston Red Sox as well. You've got a lot of guys supplying the boom with at least 25 home runs, as led by Rafael Devers, 36 home runs, 109 RBI, Hunter Renfro, J.D. Martinez, Bobby Dahlbeck, all between, I would say, 31 and 25 home runs. Kyle Schwarber, if you count the ones with the Washington Nationals, 30-plus there as well, and pretty much all these guys, aside from Dahlbeck, have north of 90 RBI. You've been able to have Hunter Renfro, a long shorber, both hitting between about a 260 to a 270. You've got Sander Bogarts hitting just below 300. He's got 23 home runs. Kike Hernandez has been able to find it with 20 bombs so far this year. Good utility man. That is a 340 on base. And then with the Washington Nationals, Juan Soto is still out there fighting hard for the team. He's got a 467 on base. He and Josh Bell both have 27 to 29 home runs apiece. You've got Alcides Escobar has been able to do a solid job for the team hitting a 285. Lane Thomas since coming over from the St. Louis Cardinals. He's hitting in that pocket as well. And Key Ruiz, one of the big pieces from that Max Scherzer deal. He's hitting about a 275. So I do think that the Nationals are going to be able to scratch across a couple runs in this spot. But I think that Chris Sale is just going to have the Washington Nationals completely outgunned when it comes pitching, and this is a spot in which, with the Boston Red Sox, I'd be willing to lay up to about a minus 165-ish when it comes to the run line. I personally set this at a minus 167, and like I said, 9.5 or lower, I'm going to be taking a look at the over 10 or higher to the under, and that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Sunday. Apologies, I'm not able to give you more set numbers, just one of these situations in which it is what it is for the final day of the regular season. The postseason will be a little bit different, and if you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Baseball Betting Podcast with great Peterson coming at you guys every single day, and you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you've got one of two ways to be able to fire those in. 
First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, anything that you'd like to hear on this podcast, you're able to send that in via the comments box there. Big thanks to Ben Wilson of the Vegas Sites and Information Network for joining me in the last segment. And after today, we're either going to have game 163 or we're going to be knowing the postseason matchups. And I'll be coming at you guys once again tomorrow with all that. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll catch you guys on Monday.